Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Talking Wealth, the show where the Wealth Within team are on hand to teach you how to become a more confident, competent, and more importantly, profitable trader or investor. Wealth Within was voted number three for stock market podcasts globally in 2018, so I hope you enjoy listening. We cover topics from trading to investing, as well as wealth creation to ensure you can achieve your financial goals. Because as we always say, lifestyle matters. As a global leader in stock market education, you can fast track your journey towards financial freedom by studying with Wealth Within. If you'd like more information about our government accredited courses or to listen to more Talking Wealth podcasts, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the Talking Wealth podcast under the Learning Centre. Please note that the information in this podcast should not be considered personal financial advice. Hello and welcome to Talking Wealth. I'm Dale Gillam, the Chief Analyst here at Wealth Within. I hope you're having a fantastic 2021 and it's been a little bit better for you than what last year was, but geez, wasn't this time last year an interesting time? I mean, you know, March last year was, uh, well, now we're into April, sorry. Sorry, we are in March. I'm thinking we're putting the year further ahead than I need to be. We're in March, sorry. Um, But, you know, February was fine, uh, you know, and in March we started getting to the lockdowns and all the uncertainty with the COVID and everything else, and hasn't the market or the stock market been quite interesting? And it's, it's also been... An interesting journey psychology-wise with people, you know, a lot of people hate change or they um, avoid change and COVID-19 has really made us change a lot. You know, in the early days, the first lockdown, getting people to wear masks was really hard, you know, a lot of people weren't wearing them and then now, even today, you know, where most of Australia is pretty much, we're pretty open, if, you know, with, with inverted commas, we're pretty open you're still walking around everywhere. You don't think twice about somebody wearing a mask or as soon as you walk into the supermarket, everybody's got a mask on, you know, in the shopping centres, you know, everybody's got a mask on. Um, Not everybody's wearing them properly, but they've got masks on. Um, But you get the point and people are making those changes. People are washing their hands more, we're sanitising more. So, you know, will this flu season be as bad as what we've seen in the past if people keep those same habits going and creating those great habits? But it's also really question about how we work and, what we do with work, you know, with all of us working from home nowadays. I mean, with us, you know, we'd had most of our staff working from home. We've had them working from home, well, well, for three years at least. But we had, we've had people working from home. Why I hesitated? We've had people working from home, part-time and casual, for six, seven years or more. But mainstream, most of our staff work from home and they have for three years. Uh, simply because it helps them. It's, it's, it, we still get the same productivity. We get happier staff. You know, clients are happy. Um, but now it's not unusual for, for you to ring your telco or some other big company and you hear a you know, dog in the background or a bird tweeting in the background or a baby or you know a noise in the background. And you don't think anything of it, whereas... January last year you did so we are changing our perceptions we're changing our way of thinking we're changing our way of life we're changing how we work and what we do and I was looking at it I was chatting with a a gentleman in the US only this morning who's written a new book around sort of budgeting financial management how to sort of create wealth in your life and one of the books he mentioned um, in his book was a book called The Millionaire Next Door and it was written by two PhD people, um, one called Thomas Stanley and the other one was William Danko. So you, you may have heard about the book The Millionaire Next Door. It was written in 
I think 1996, and it was first released in Australia around the year 2000. And I got, I think I got the book around that same time. So I've read it, you know, 20 odd years ago um, here in Australia. And it really did, having a chat with him reminded me of some of this book. And, you know, obviously at that particular time, you know, I was in my 30s and I was, you know, I was doing quite well. And uh, it was, but it was also a, how do I say? I was going about to say it was a validation of what I was doing and how I was creating wealth in my own life. Um, and it's it's a book that I think people should read because I can guarantee you most people that are millionaire because the millionaire is the concept, not necessarily a dollar figure in my mind now. Because most people who anybody that owns a home in Australia pretty much is almost a millionaire nowadays, especially Melbourne and Sydney, um, and not quite in Brisbane, but and Adelaide and obviously Perth. Um, but if you own your own home, you're a fair way along to being, you know, well, you are a millionaire. But it, I think it's that concept of what the concept of millionaire brings up. It's somebody that has freedom and somebody that has money that doesn't need to worry about money. And I think that's the concept uh, that I have. And, and I thought I'd just bring the book up and just and sort of go through a couple of things with you in this book like I did a while back on my one of my favorite books the greatest salesman in the world if you've ever uh, if you haven't heard those podcasts that I did I think it was three or four podcasts where I went through 10 scrolls from that book I've had a lot of feedback from people who who listen to our podcast and they love that series because I was giving my take on that classic book and and I still think it's a super super classic book and I will do more books there was a couple of you know, books that I wanted to do for my next one. And actually this one, me and Annex, or wasn't the next one, but as I said, because I had the gentleman that I was speaking to today reminded me of and I thought, nah, it's probably a perfect time for that because I think everyone desires to be a millionaire. And I'm not, I don't mean in the terms of dollar value or what I mean by in the terms of being wealthy in your own mind, uh, if that makes sense. So wealth is, 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 context it's well how do you feel wealthy is it because you're loved is it because you're healthy in your physical body and physical mind or is it because you have money or whatever that is it's about happiness it's about a holistic view and it's probably an overused term holistic view but you get the point it doesn't need to necessarily have one plus so many zeros behind it to say yes um, you know, I'm a millionaire, you know, uh, and a lot of people do want that financial freedom. But just in to go through some of the stuff in this millionaire next door by Stanley and Denko, as I said, was released in 2000. And I think it was research done in the 90s, sort of mid 90s. Um, so they could get it out. Pretty much they talk about there are seven factors. So I'll just read for you in the book and then I'll talk to you about those seven factors. Um, and it's, it's really right up front in the first, as I said, the first chapter. And it says seven factors who becomes wealthy. Usually the wealthy individual is a businessman who has lived in the same town for all of his adult life. This person owns a small factory, a chain of stores, a service company. He has married once and remains married. Okay, so therefore, when you look at that, there's a person there that's lived in the same town, has a business and has been married to the one person. They're fully committed in what they do. So they're totally committed in what they do. That's what we're picking up there. They, they love a challenge and they stick with it, whatever they're doing. He lives next door to people with a fraction of his wealth. He is a compulsive saver and investor and has made money on his own. 80% of America's millionaires are first-generation rich. 
Affluent people typically follow a lifestyle conducive to accumulation, accumulating money. In the course of our investigations, we discovered seven common denominators amongst those who successfully build wealth. Now, that's a generality in terms of that statement, not the last little bit, but, you know, they live in the same town. I mean, I don't live in the same town that I was born in, but I'm going back to live in that same town. I, I used to run a business in that town. I don't anymore. I'm in, a, I'm in Melbourne. That's where I am. Um, so, but to me, it's very, it resonates, this sort of stuff resonates with me, but I'll go through those seven things for you. And number one is they live well below their means. Now, I know I, in my book, I talk about the three laws of wealth. My first book, How to Beat the Managed Funds by 20%, which I launched on, I don't know, 2004 or something. Um, and I talk about spend less than you earn. It's exactly what they're talking about. They live well below their means. So, um, if you haven't got my first book, Excel, um, How to Beat the Managed Funds by 20%, you can go to a website and get it for free. You just pay the shipping. Um, or if you can't find it on the website, just ring the team. They'll um, take your credit card for the shipping and send it out to you for free. And if you're really nice to them they'll and ask them, I might even sign it for you. Um, so, yeah, number one, they live well below their means. Number two, they allocate their time, energy, and money efficiently in ways to... Con- ways conducive to building wealth so they allocate their time energy and money efficiently in ways conducive to building their wealth now to me when i was quite young somebody said to me dale you know when you're looking at how much tv do you watch and i sort of i was into sports a lot when i was younger um, more so than watching tv but i did tell them and they said to me dale the tv is an electronic income reducer Oh, well, that makes sense, doesn't it? And nowadays, it's not just the television, it's, you know, all the smartphones, the tablets, and how much time do you spend on your tablet, on your smartphone, and watching TV? You know, I don't know, like with my iPhone, it tells me every week, you know, you've spent this much time on this many apps and blah, 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 and that's 17% down from last week. And I look at that and I keep, I, as long as it's going negative, I'm happy. Uh, but we do, we get up in the morning and like the average person looks at their phone and checks their emails and their messages within the first five minutes of being awake. You know, it's like these sorts of things, These we're, we're becoming tech tragic, but is that really helping you do what you need to do? Or is writing your goals, or is getting some exercise, or is doing some meditation, or is something else, spending time with your family, helping you become more wealthy? And I said wealth is not just about money. It's about everything, the holistic view of it all. So you know, they allocate their time, energy, and money efficiently in ways conducive to building their wealth. And it really is about, um, and as I was saying with this uh, person who's written the book today, it's, it's you know, do you want it or do you need it? And, and this is a real important question. And that's what, it's, again, it's about that point too, is when you're looking at something and what a wealthy person does is they look at something and you might have this impulse to go, hmm, I'd like that shirt or I'd like that jumper or I'd like that new bag or I'd like that new car or I'd like that whatever. Oh, I could see myself in that pair of jeans whatever the thing is or i'd like that new iphone or new tv and i and i do that myself walking around whether it's jb hi-fi or whatever else and i see all these toys and i go i'd like that well that's really nice and i have a bit of a look at it look at the price but i walk out and that's the difference between quite often people who are successful and not is they walk out they get away from that emotion driven environment where you're seeing you know, it's 50% off today, buy one, get one, half price, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. 
and you're in, the endorphins that are firing off in your head for that enjoyment you get for buying something new go into another environment and go away and go home and and if you still want it in a day or two go and get it but what i find wealthy people do like myself is we walk out we don't get the buy now pay later we don't get the credit card out and get it now and go home with it and and satisfy that i won't say that gambling mentality but you know that bug oh you know because it's nice to have a new thing and um i i like i know with my cars i think i think i've had three cars that i've owned for 10 years could i bought other cars during that time yeah did i want to buy other cars during that time yeah but i didn't i just walk out I go oh, that's a really nice car that'd be great but i walk out um and even my last car well not one of my one of the cars i had for 10 years i still wish i owned it i loved it and i only only sold it because the accountant told me i needed to have it to get a tax deduction so which i think i sacked that accountant um because i still love that car number three they believe that financial independence is more important than displaying high social status so they believe financial independence is more important than displaying high social status so we don't need to be members of the big clubs and all of that sort of stuff and we don't need to be prancing around pretending who you are it's just you know you want to make sure you have enough money that rather than run out of money before you run out of the month um, which a lot of actually people do so you'll find a lot of people that are wealthy you won't know they're wealthy that's you know they're just in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt walking around right next to you sitting next to you at the coffee table they may have torn jeans they may have you know you know not brush their hair whatever that is and it's interesting what you see and and i know i said to this gentleman that i was being interviewed today he's like i used to always shop for cars in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and you know and quite often the jeans were dirty and because the reason what i wanted to do was not make out that i had plenty of money to the salespeople who would look after me better and give me the respect you know as somebody looking at a car but it was interesting to see how people judge you on that on what you're dressing number four their parents did not provide economic outpatient care this is a huge one for today and i was only chatting about that with somebody yesterday you know about kids and money because mum and dad can it's the bank of mum and dad i didn't have that you know for those of you been listening to these podcasts for a long period of time you'll know my father died when i was in an accident when I was three months old and you know, we grew up on pensions. We were a welfare family um, right through until I was... Any money I earned, I earned, you know, whether it's paper rounds, whatever else, until I got a full-time job. But we, you know, we were broke, completely broke, and we had second-hand clothes all of the time. So I know what it's like. There was no bank of mum or dad at all, ever, you know. And this is where I think we've got it wrong nowadays and... You know, parents are just constantly bailing out their kids and paying for their kids' things, you know, whether it's paying for their registration or their insurance or buying them a new car or putting money towards all sorts of things. You're not necessarily looking after your kids by not teaching them to earn their own money. And what I mean by earning their money, it's, I'm not talking about them going to job and getting a paycheck. I'm talking about earning the money, which means to me is getting the things that they need when they've earned the right to have them. So if they can't afford the $10,000 car, they buy the $2,000 car until their money gets to the point where they can afford the $10,000 car. Teach them proper money management. Teach them proper money skills. Uh, and don't provide that economic outpatient care. Don't be that safety net all the time. Let them swim. 
and be there to hold their hand, yes, be there to help them, be there to, in terms of moral support, but don't keep bailing them out or don't keep buying things for them. If they want stuff, tell them to get it themselves. Uh, it's pretty simple. Number five, their adult children are economically self-sufficient. So if you have adult children and they still keep asking you for money, you're not following that one because they're affecting your retirement. And this is the thing. You know, you probably, if you've been listening for long enough, you'll know that I often have said that the pension in Australia is not a retirement savings plan. The pension never has been a retirement savings plan. It's a safety net only. So your role is to plan for your own retirement and save up. And if you're continually supporting children that are working and handing out and doing things for them, then you are robbing your future lifestyle and you're robbing your own wealth and you're all, all robbing, robbing your retirement. And you do need to do that. And I know for some people it's it's very emotional. They go, but they're my kids. But what is the best way to teach your kids? And sometimes tough love is the best way. Number six, they are proficient in targeting market opportunity. So they treat, they're open to all ideas and opportunities. They're not closed off. And all too often I find people go, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't do that. And these are the people that don't have money. And they go, there's always a way to make money. And they said to me, Dale, what would you do if you got went, if you were broke tomorrow? I say, I'd make it back the day after. And I go, what do you mean? I go, well, how would you do that? And I go, well, easy. If I didn't have any money, I'd go and find something to do, whether it's emptying garbage bans or working in McDonald's. Well, I'm too old to work at McDonald's, but, you know, making coffees for people, you know, go to the supermarket and buy a whole lot of drinks and go down to, you know, a park or a river where people walk and sell them cans of drink, you know, whatever it is I had to do to make money. And that's what, what they mean by opportunities. They're proficient in targeting marketing opportunities. You go to op shops, I know anybody can go to an opportunity shop and find good clothing or good things there, pay a few cents for them or a few dollars for them and then put them on eBay and sell them for a higher price and make money from their own home. Anybody can do that right now. So if you don't have enough money, that means you're not looking or targeting opportunities, um, you know, and you really do need to do that. And number seven, they choose the right occupation. Um, I find a lot of people live life by accident, which means they just fall into whatever job or whatever they're doing. They don't choose their right occupation and what things that they're really good at and what they love. And all too often people are in roles that they don't like, they're not happy with. So if you're in a role that you're not happy with, tell me what you want you know I was going through that with my goddaughter only two weeks ago and she wasn't happy with the job and I said well leave and she goes well where am I going to earn money I said well, what do you love to do she goes oh and she's replying for all these different jobs I said would you like a job like that she goes no not really but it's a job and I went well why just what do you like to do do you like to sew do you like to exercise do you like to talk to people do you like to help people what do you like to do and then you find a job that will facilitate what you love to do because if you love to do it you're going to do it better if you do it better you're going to get paid more for doing it because people will feel that and they'll feel that in you so really though they're those seven things that it talks about here in the book now these are all solidly researched um, by the way this is you know, it's a you know two phd um people um thomas danko sorry thomas stanley and william danko me and then next door the book so it's properly researched it is a little bit dry it's not one of these fluffy books that you get so giving PhD people, it is a bit more dry and it is about research. But I suggest you read it because becoming a millionaire or you being the millionaire next door is not that hard. You just have to create good habits. Um, and again, this COVID situation right now has been 
uh, one of those challenging things that make us really look at who we are and what we're about and life and you know getting into change so i think there's never a better time to change because if you want to achieve success there's a saying i forget who it's by but for things to change first i must so maybe reading the mirror next door is probably a good first step Take care. You've been listening to Talking Wealth. I'm Dale Gillen, the Chief Analyst here at Wealth Within. Have a fantastic week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Wealth Within, a global leader in stock market education. For more information on our courses or to listen to more Talking Wealth podcasts, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the Talking Wealth podcast under the Learning Centre.